Hello, welcome to Job Fair Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Cody Meeks, and today we are interviewing with Julia Rice. Uh, this little series is starting off, uh, but it's focused on the food industry. I'm going to try and get people from different uh, flavors, if you will, of the food industry. So I'm going <laughs> to give it off to Julia Rice, let her give you a little bit of like a biography about her, tell her where she's been, how she got into it, and stuff like that. Cool. Hi. Well, I'm Julia. Hello, everybody. Um, So I am, as of right now, I am working at Texas Roadhouse. Um, It is a very cool company to work for, but I've been working with them for four and a half years. We, um, I started off just serving tables there. I've served tables for five or so years now. I started off serving tables at a steak and shake, but that's not super important here. Um, But I've been working there. I started off just serving tables. Um, Eventually, after about a year and a half, I started bartending. Um, after that point, I actually started training new servers as well. We have a full training program, so it actually was like a step to become a trainer. And then um, after about a year of doing that, I actually became the front of house training coordinator there. So what that entails is I'm responsible for all of the trainers and making sure that they are trained in training properly. I'm going to be using the word train a lot, so patience with me on that. But um Other than that, I'm also responsible for holding all of the new employee orientations. Um, I do them for front of house and back of house employees. So they kind of trust me to give everybody a good feel for the ropes of everything. Um, Other than that, I just I serve as kind of a liaison between the the employees, really, and all of the management, because I kind of fall between them. I don't have keys to the building, but I work with the um, with the management staff. So if anybody ever has an issue, like, especially with trainees, because they're new and they, you know, they're a little bit intimidated, they can feel like they can come to me because I am that first person that they meet and kind of convey issues and stuff like that. So I'm kind of all of the new employees, like cool older sister. I don't want to call them myself their mom because I'm not (laughs) old enough for that. But um, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. Um, I really, you know, I love my job. I do it well, I think. Uh, But yeah, that's a little bit about me. Um, <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's great. So, um, just as a background for the listeners, I know you went yeah. to a high school at GMC with me. Um, oh yeah, we'll get a little personal. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then you went to uh, you went to college. You said for a little bit, uh, and that's yes. that's kind of why you said you went into it, right? Right. Initially. So, I um, when I graduated, I was I think I was number nine in our class or something like that. Like academics was always very important to me growing up. Um, my senior year, I actually elected not to take computers, and I actually took physics and anatomy at the same time because I was just a big nerd and I really liked learning. Um, then I graduated. I graduated in 2014. I went to Kennesaw State. Uh, my initial major was chemistry, I believe. It was chemistry or biochemistry. I changed it a lot, so if I don't remember, <laughs> that is why. Um, but I went to my first year while I was living on campus and while I was going to school living on campus it was it wasn't easy by any means because I was honestly out on my own for the first time and I feel like a lot of kids go through that just kind of balancing your own like life but also trying to balance school at the same time like it's a very kind of intimidating prospect to kind of realize oh my gosh I'm responsible for myself and I'm also supposed to do well in school like You know, I handled it really well for the first year or so just because I was on campus and there were so many resources available to me. And then after that first year, um, I moved off campus. And at that point, I kind of realized, like, 
that was when I really started having to work a lot to be able to support myself more because my parents were kind of weaning me off of help and stuff like that. So I really had to start working more. And at that point, I kind of started realizing like, this is a lot like school and work at the same time for me was very difficult. I, I struggled with it. I, at the same time was having difficulty, like with my major and I was having issues with that because I wasn't loving what I was doing. I was having a hard time figuring out what I wanted to do in school. And part of that was just me telling myself that I had to go to school. I had Mm -hmm. to finish. I had to get this degree and do something with it. But, um, at the same time, I wasn't considering the fact that like, am I even happy doing this? So eventually I got to a point in 2015 where I stopped going to school. I realized like if nothing, because I was looking at my, at my student debt that was accumulating, honestly. And I was like, I don't really feel like I have direction here, but I'm spending all of this money. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I, I had to kind of make that call and tell myself, you know, you're not, you're not failing. And a lot of it came from my support system, like my family and stuff telling me like, it's okay if you need to stop. It's okay if you, you know, don't feel like you're accomplishing something with this. So after I really, and because I came from that background in high school of just working hard and getting good grades, like when I realized I wasn't loving school anymore, it was really difficult. And I had kind of like, I don't want to say an identity crisis, but like, it was very difficult to kind of make that call and realize like, oh my gosh, maybe college isn't for me right now. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I um, I had started looking for a new job because at that point I was working at Steak and Shake and I found Texas Roadhouse. So I started, um, honestly, I was applying to a few jobs, but they were the first ones to reach out to me. I remember when they called me and told me I had an interview that which I'm going to talk a little bit about a lady named Aj in this interview because she is honestly, she was my mentor for years and years and I just idolize her. But anyway, she was the one who did my interview. She was my service manager for years. And um, I remember I got the phone call from our managing partner, Kyle, and he was telling me I would have an interview with Aj and I asked how to spell that. And he said, A-Z-H. And I said, (laughs) okay. And I was like nervous. I didn't want to mispronounce anything. And I was got all dressed up and I went in for my interview and I remember hearing the really loud country music. And I was like, whew, all right, (laughs) let's do this. And I mean, I really honestly at the beginning did not know if I was cut out to work there because it is a very fast paced environment. It is not for everybody. I will be the first one to tell people that it is not for everybody. Um, I remember I went through training and everything and Eventually, I kind of fell into place there, but I didn't really start to really kind of find my niche until about a year in because when you work in the restaurant industry, turnover is a very common thing. Mm -hmm. It just is. It's one of those things, you know, it's not necessarily one of those professions where you need a whole lot of credentials to become part of the team. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of ways, you know, people will just send out bulk um, applications, get the job, kind of feel it out. And then when it's not right for them, they just kind of tank. So management has a hard time getting close to employees that have not been there for a year or more. It just kind of is what it is. No, that makes sense. Um, So after about a year, I kind of finally started getting in, not like getting in with the managers, but they finally started opening up to me a little bit more and kind of letting me have a little bit of insight into more of the inner workings because the restaurant itself functions very much like a big machine and knowing how all those different parts work really kind of helps everybody work together. And when I first started working there, they weren't very clear about 
how what I do affects the dish person affects the whole kitchen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So after that, I kind of really started finding a love for it and it just kind of took off from there. Okay. Yeah, good. I'm going to uh, back up and talk to a couple of different points yeah, yeah, that yeah. you mentioned in that. Sorry, um, I might ramble a little bit. I'm no, no, that's nervous. fine. <laughs> so um, I will mention that um, it makes sense that, you know, restaurants have high turnover rates because a lot of people who go and do uh, restaurant jobs, I would say mm-hmm. a significant portion of them are going just as, as a, you know, a temporary job. Maybe they're not intending For to sure. work there as a career, which makes sense. Not everybody wants to work at a restaurant. And it's, right. it's a very flexible job, so it's um, very accommodating for people who are doing other things like college or, or maybe exactly. they work two jobs. Exactly, exactly. So and that those kind are of... the folks who, who they, you know, they'll stay for about a year, but then, you know, every four years or so, it's really weird. You'll see the kids all start graduating from high school and the people who go to KSU all start graduating and we have a huge turnover all at once. It's super weird. <laughs> so yeah, in <laughs> May, you'll have to really scramble to find people. Yep, yep. <laughs> No, that makes sense. Uh, I've talked to a couple other people who've like uh, run their own business, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, turnover rates like the biggest thing if you're trying to run a business where like maybe uh, the workers aren't really considering it a career; they're more considering it like a, a temporary job. You know, right? So that is something tough that they have to battle. Uh, but I want to jump back even further. How you're talking about college, and I think this mm-hmm. is something important that needs to be talked about. But oh, for sure. When you're in college, there is this. I mean, you're surrounded with people. You know, a lot of people know exactly what they want to do right from the get-go. You know, there's some people like that. I felt like I was like that. I was lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew I wanted to do engineering. I did engineering. I didn't think, I didn't yep. second think it. <laughs> uh, but I know other people who, you know, do have a hard time, but they feel yeah. like they can't take a break from classes because they feel like they're going to get behind. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, kind of a misconception. It's it's better probably in my opinion, to, mm. you know, just step back, step away completely, maybe even take a break from college, do something For else sure. and figure out what you want to do. Um, or if you even want to go to college, because, you know, it's not the only option out there. So, but I do right. think when you're in college, you kind of feel like you're in a rat race. And if you do anything to put you behind, you're getting behind in life, which is just not, not true, you know? Right, exactly. I mean, and like, that was one of the biggest lessons I had to learn once I graduated from high school, and I was out on my own was that it is not a race. Life is not a race. Yeah, you do not have to compare yourself to everybody else around you. Like, and it took me a really long time to actually like believe that even though I was telling myself that. So I definitely think that more people need to kind of hear that from somebody. Yeah, that it, it you don't have to put yourself in an early grave trying to like keep up with everyone else. What matters is like, are you, are you happy? Are you accomplishing something that you are proud of? Yeah. I mean, if you're already happy before you even finish college, then you're already meeting the accomplishments that a lot of people are looking forward to after college. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. But uh, the other thing is I think there's been a few, a view shift in what college is from like, I would mm-hmm. say that maybe from the eighties the or something when college really started ramping up in price I think mm-hmm. people started looking at college as something, A, that they kind of have to do, and then they started looking at it as an accolade, you know, like something mm-hmm. to be proud of. But really and truly, what it is, is it's an investment. And you should mm-hmm. be looking at, am I going to get a return on investment or exactly. not? And not just financially, you know, happiness. Whatnot. Right. So is I, this something I think I'm important. going to find joy in? Right. Yeah. So it makes sense that you started out and uh, you started working in the food industry because it was flexible, like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Steak and Shake, can you talk about a couple of things? Like what, <laughs> what drove you away from Steak and Shake? It looks like you were looking so, for something new. 
So when I first started working at Steak and Shake, I was much more naive than I am now. And I think that a lot of that has to come from the fact that I've been in the food service industry for as long as I have now. But looking back, it was very easy. And this is something that I'm also very passionate about. Um, fast food, especially like restaurants that employ younger employees will kind of play off of their naivety and kind of get them wrapped up into things that they don't really understand. Like I first started working there when I was 18. And one of the first things that I remember they asked me was, was I willing to work the third shift, which is midnight to seven. Hmm. Uh, okay. And so it's really you know, easy, it but you probably don't get as much money. Where, right. I, you know, I was sitting there and I was like, well, I really need a job and I like nights anyway. Sure. I'll do it. And it was one of the worst decisions I ever made. Cause I mean, I remember getting off of work eventually around like eight or so. And you get off of work at eight in the morning. And the only thing I could really think to do is I'm like, well, it's going to take me a minute to wind down and go to sleep anyway. I guess I'll go to Chick-fil-A and get some chicken biscuits because I'm never awake for them anyway. But like, it was just very difficult to, and I kind of put myself in that situation. But once I had, I was also at a point where I didn't feel comfortable kind of approaching an authority figure like my manager and telling them, hey, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with this. But I think that was also just me not having dealt with that before and not knowing that I had, that I could say that, honestly, mm-hmm. I felt like, Oh, they're in charge. Like I said, I would do it. Now I have to kind of live with it. But at the end of the day, like it was making me miserable. Like I remember a specific morning where I was mopping the whole floor of the restaurant. because Nobody was in there. It was like five thirty or six. And I started watching the sunrise and the steak and shake by myself. And it was kind of one of those moments where you like recap your life up to that moment. And you're like, what am I doing? So at that point, I kind of started looking for something different because it was just, and I mean, it was a 24 hour establishment too. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) the thing about that is you got to consider they never really have time to shut down and like clean everything. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, you're put in a situation where a lot of the time they're stretched for man hours that they can even have on the clock. You'll be working without a dishwasher. You'll be working without somebody to make the shakes for you, stuff like that. Everything's kind of a mess because nothing ever really gets like deep, deep cleaned. And I mean, it, it was just something that I realized I couldn't be proud of, mm-hmm. even though I, I knew I was okay, like at least good at my job because they, when I initially quit, they asked me to put in a four week notice instead of a two week notice. So they at least acknowledged me as somebody they needed on their schedule. But at the end of the day, it was something that like, I couldn't go home and be proud that I worked there. Yeah. So I kind of made the decision to look into something different just because of the fact, like I knew that it wasn't a career by any means, but I wasn't even happy, like leaving, you know what I mean? So like, it wasn't worth it. And at the end of the day, I just decided like, I at least need a change of some kind. It could be, even if I get a new job and it's not quite for me, I can't keep working here. So that was kind of my thing. That makes sense. And then uh, I'm just yeah. going to make the assumption here, but that, that third shift, I would assume that most of the people that go to Steak and Shake during that time period are probably drunk or hungover. <laughs> drunk, hungover, creepy in general. Um, not to mention we were like two stoplights away from I-75. Okay, so, so yeah, it could be travelers so- just... Yeah, we had some travelers, but I, and I mean, like every once in a while, you'd get the table of like 10 on duty policemen who just are hungry and they come in and they're like hanging out. And then like the table of guys, two tables over, are like looking around <laughs> like oh, the 12. But um, it, I mean, it was never a dull moment by any means, but it was just really 
it was just uncomfortable. Like I knew that it wasn't something that I wanted to really be doing. And I kind of only did it because I a needed the money and B had told my management that I would. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, the clientele was not, not the best. Yeah, no. <laughs> and then, um, I'm not sure exactly how steak and shake is, but do you get, uh, I guess you get minimum wage and then tips on top of that or. So the way that it works is it's the way that I've always seen servers get paid, at least around here. And I know of other places that don't do this, but it was the straight minimum wage, the 213 plus your tips. So I don't know if you want me to kind of go into that because I know a whole lot about how that works. I think we'll Um, definitely get into that. Yeah, just tips employees in general. I've read the OSHA labor thing before, and I mm-hmm. I know that technically, if you don't, if your wages per hour don't come up to minimum wage, they're required mm-hmm. to pay you whatever minimum wage, which which I think in right. Georgia is seven thirty five. But yeah, that does bring up an awkward conversation, which I think some people at least would be uncomfortable, you know, being like, "Hey, you know, I didn't get minimum wage. Y'all need to pay me." Something. Right, That's, that is awkward to bring up. I mean, do you think right? Do you think some people do just avoid that and just take less than minimum wage? I honestly, um, every restaurant that I've ever worked in has kind of a fail-safe system. So whenever you're clocking out for the night as a tipped employee, it's going to ask you to declare your tips. Mm -hmm. So what it'll do is come payday, if your tips didn't add up to be that minimum wage for the hours that you worked, then you would receive a paycheck in that amount, that difference that you're missing to make up for the minimum wage of the hours you worked. Okay. So I remember a specific circumstance where there was a coworker of mine who was underclaiming, and I remember our manager had to come like approach him and chew him out for it because he was like, "Why are we cutting you hundreds of dollars in paychecks if you're working forty hours a week? And I know that you're taking such and such money home in your pocket every night." Okay. Yeah, and I. So they they can see. They know. Yeah, so it's it's largely automated now. So it's yes. it's kind of like yes. you don't have to necessarily have that awkward conversation. Right, right. Which I think is a really good thing because I don't think it should be put on that employee to have to ask to be paid at least minimum wage at that yeah. point. I've always kind of wondered so, how yeah. that works. So that, that's good to know that it's, it's kind of automated. You yep. don't have to bring that conversation up necessarily. Unless maybe For you worked sure. at somewhere really small and... Right. Know. Somewhere somewhere that didn't have like an updated POS system or where like the books are just very small and they have an in-house accountant or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, the guy who was underclaiming, I'm assuming that's like where he's like, uh, let's say he made $200 for the month on mm-hmm. tax on uh, tips. And then he's like, oh, I only made 100. Yep. So, so and you get some extra money because you don't have to pay taxes on the 100, which. Right. That's why I try and tip in cash. Um, because that's hard to like see, but I know that you're, um, uh, a training coordinator, so that may not be something you can advise. You're supposed (laughs) to claim all of your tips. Yes. We don't want the IRS coming after you, but like at the end of the day, what they would do is just, you know, trying to just trying to play the system for all it's worth. Really. He was the same kind of like shark server that I'll kind of talk about where, at this at Steak and Shake, there wasn't a host stand, so there wasn't anybody in charge of rotation. You sat your own table, so if he mm-hmm. got to the front of the door first and grabbed that table and put him in his section, oh, okay. he's making that money off of them. He would sit and watch the parking lot for nice cars mm. and wait for those folks to walk in. Like he was definitely a very much career server, <laughs> but you know, he also taught me how some of the like coworkers I would have in the future would act, and I kind of learned the little tricks and stuff. 
So, you know, he was just kind of playing it for all it was worth, I think. But at the end of the day, like, it was one of those things where my manager had to go to him and be like, look, you can't do this or they're going to, like, come and audit us, dude. Like, you can't do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's an interesting story. I like that. And you don't see that. You don't. I'm guessing you don't see as much of that at Texas Roadhouse because it's like a little bit of a nicer establishment. So I would assume you probably attract you know, a little bit nicer of employees, a I little guess. bit nicer. It's, it's, it's a mixed bag. What'll happen honestly is it's less so much of, because we do have a hosting and we do have a rotation process. Like Texas Roadhouse even has what's called a leader at the door position. It's an hourly paid position where it's just a host that gets promoted and paid hourly to make sure all the other hosts are doing their job. Okay. Um, so it's a whole operation, but I digress. So they're responsible for the rotation. It kind of reverses, though, because we have so many regulars that come to that building that want specific servers. Oh, okay. That that's, it kind of goes the opposite way. Like, they kind of want to pick their server instead of the server kind of picking and choosing the people that they want in their section. Mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely kind of different. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, obviously, I'm, I'm guessing the... Serve, this food service industry mm-hmm. was a little different than what you're expecting because at first you kind of went into it as a part-time job to support you in yeah. college. But you ended up <laughs> sure. liking it and staying on with Texas Roadhouse at least. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, could you kind of go how that, I guess, like changed your expectations to where you ended up kind of liking working there? Yes, absolutely. So like I said, when I first started, I walked into the interview and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I walking into? And, you know, I had already worked in food service and I knew that it was high paced and I knew that it was very much, you know, when it's busy, it's busy. So I knew kind of going in what to expect. But at the end of the day, I had never served alcohol. I had never served, you know, anything like that. So I had a lot to learn and I had to be very humble and kind of accept that, like, because, you know, you go into a serving job and you're like, oh, it's just a part time job. I don't really have to put a whole lot into this. But I mean, they put you through a whole rigorous system. Like we go through what's called a validation process where a manager will sit down with you at the end of your training with the menu in their hands. And they will ask you about every single item on the menu. And they do that for a reason. Like our, our servers are our salespeople. They need to be able to sell the product. If they don't know the product then they can't sell it. So that's Mm -hmm. the whole idea behind it. But it was really cool because it kind of instigated this like camaraderie between all of the servers because they've all had to go through it too and they kind of can see you struggling and they'll help you kind of figure out what you're missing and the pieces of information you're kind of not absorbing as well so I really started to get closer with my coworkers, and a lot of that really kind of helped me to learn to love it even when I wasn't very good at it yet mm-hmm. um when I first started working there a lot of the people who were working there had been there for years like they were just with the company for years and years were very versed in what they were doing and they may not necessarily have always been doing everything by the book, but they were more than happy to kind of point me in the right direction and make sure that like I wasn't left to the wayside just because I was new, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So that really honestly like jump started my love for it. It's kind of funny. I actually ended up um, my day one trainer, the first person that ever like taught me anything ended up being my roommate for two years. <laughs> so that was really kind of weird. Um, but I mean, honestly, after about a year of working there, you really kind of start to have a second nature to it. Like you don't have to have a second thought about picking up a big tray of food or something like that. Like you kind of learn to enjoy it and you kind of learn, you know, you hear people all the time talk about how, you know, people who go out to eat, like, Oh, the Karens of the world, da, da, da. like I've met some of the coolest people I've ever met in my life serving them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that really kind of started 
that love for the restaurant industry in me too. Um, but at the same time, when you work there for as long as you have, you start to kind of notice the things that can be better. And I think that that was like really where I saw, because I hadn't been in school for a little bit at this time, I kind of saw something that I really kind of wanted to put my love into and I really wanted to put time into. And our current training coordinator at the time had just gotten a job in Austin, in Texas. Mm -hmm. So she was leaving and the, the position had become available. And our manager, Aj, the one I told you about earlier, approached me and she, she told me, she was like, you'd be a great candidate for this. I really think that you should talk to our managing partner, Kyle, about it. And of course, at first I was like, oh, well, I, I, I'm an okay trainer, but I don't really know if I'm like up to the task of doing all of this because I knew how much work that the job position like asked of, asked of me. And she really was the one who pushed me and said, you know, you can do this. Yeah. And I kind of needed that. So especially after having to be as humble as I had to be telling myself I didn't have to be in school anymore. And going through that whole thing a couple of years prior, like I was kind of, I was in a humble place that wasn't easy to kind of get out of. It was kind of getting into a, I don't even really know what to call it. Just like a funk where I was happy working my serving job and training new people, but I didn't really want to push myself to go further than that. And mm -hmm. something about Texas Roadhouse, I'll just mention, they're very much about internal promotion. Like they, one of our managers we have right now, actually, she just came to our store, um, She's been with the company since she was 16 and she started as a host and everything, moved her way up, became a bartender, became everything. And then she's gone to MIT manager and training her manager and training course now. And she's 22 and she's a salaried manager now. Okay. Yeah. So, so they're more than happy to push you. And like, I know a guy actually, he's going to be becoming a managing partner of a store. So like, I call it that instead of a general manager, because when somebody's in charge of the store, they're actually half or not half, they're part owner of the establishment itself too. So like okay. they get return on investment through that too. So it's managing partner, but he's going to be getting his own store coming up in the next year or so. And he's 20, 26 or 27. Yeah. So, I mean, like they're more than happy if you want to work hard and go do it, do it. But, um, I kind of, I never really wanted to get sucked into it, you know, like I, I, I've seen waiting and that movie where, you know, <laughs> he offers them the assistant manager position. It's like, I don't know if I want to sink my whole life into this. And that's kind of where I was at that time. I was like, I don't want to get sucked into this and like be 40 and still working as a, a restaurant manager, but there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And that's really what I've learned is that these people have so much love and it's not an easy thing to do. Like if you see somebody who's been working in the restaurant industry for 10 years or more, they're not doing it because, you know, it's just a job to them. Mm. They love it at that point. And that's something that I really kind of learned getting involved with it. Like I took the chance, I took the job. I really started to get to know the management better and I really started to get to know the store better. And at that point I really started to find the things that I wanted to put love into and really improve. And so that's just kind of where I've been going since. And I mean, obviously, you know, with COVID, that's a whole other thing I can get into being in the restaurant industry during COVID time. But I mean, I've been doing what I can, honestly, right now. Um, turnover is still high everywhere just because, I mean, you can get a job anywhere pretty much right now. Yeah. Um, a lot of people lost a lot of staff during quarantine just because either they didn't need the man hours or those people just weren't comfortable working anyway. 
Yeah. So I've been very busy just orienting <laughs> new people lately because we've been trying to like build that staff back up. And at the same time, a lot of these people are the same folks from before where, you know, they're kind of feeling things out and they're not really sure if it's going to be for them anyway. So I've been shouldering a lot of responsibility of like just making a good impression because, you know, at the end of the day, if they can go out and get a restaurant job anywhere, we need to be the ones that are special if we're going to keep these folks. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's kind of where I'm at now with it. But that's kind of my little journey. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we'll probably drive into some of those topics later as well, yeah. especially with the, uh, you know, what's, you know, how does Texas Roadhouse attract good employees over, say, mm-hmm. the Longhorns of the world and stuff. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um and I also want to touch on, uh, I think it's a common misconception out there where people are like, they don't want to get stuck and think they're going to be at an assistant manager position in 10 years, you know? And I think, right. I think that's why a lot of, a lot of the part-time workers maybe like kind of treat it as a back burner job. Like they're focused on mm-hmm. other things and they're like, oh, I don't want to work too hard at this because I don't want to be stuck here right. for 10 years. But exactly. I mean, I think you're showing that, you know, you can, even if you maybe don't know if you're going to be there for five, 10 years, you can still mm-hmm. work really hard and move up. And you know, that just opens more doors for you where you could stay there if you want to, exactly. you could go somewhere else. It makes your resume look better either way. Exactly. So. And restaurant people know each other. Like the biggest thing in the restaurant industry is just knowing people. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird. It's very different from like, I mean, and it's not necessarily different from other, you know, trades and stuff like that. But at the same time, you know, cause I know that, knowing people that are higher up in Texas Roadhouse means that they know people who are higher up in other restaurants too okay, and stuff like that. So, you know, as you kind of get to know these people, you kind of get not necessarily like a big foot in the door in the restaurant industry, but like, it really is all about who, you know, mm-hmm. and like, eventually, you know, if I do decide to move up and stuff like that, I'll know those folks for my own purposes and for my own benefit later on. Okay. So it really is just one of those things. Like, I really know it's, it's different. The restaurant industry is just very different because you don't need that like big college degree to be able to be good at it. You can mm-hmm. come from anywhere. Yeah, I was going to touch on that. I was going to ask, as you move up, do you know, are there positions where they have a degree requirement or is so it pretty I'm open? sure that at some point they probably do. Um, I'm not sure at what point that would be, but as far as I know, um, a lot of our managers do decide to go back to school just for the for the knowledge of it and for the Mm. experience of like getting that, that business degree, because we have our own internal teaching system, but at the same time, you know, eventually to be able to be sure that you're getting your accounting right and all of that stuff, it becomes kind of necessary knowledge. Um, Just to be able to go back and check back over yourself. Cause like we have an admin that works for us and works our books, but at the same time, like we still need to be able to go back and check just in case she's not there, you know? Yeah. So like one of my managers right now, it's kind of funny. I actually trained her when she became a server when we hired her and now she's my boss. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that just shows you how quick people can move. But um, she's actually going back to school now to kind of try to get some of that other stuff under her belt because she is only 23. So she's still working on, you know, getting to a good point where she can manage as a young person. Yeah. And then uh, I would imagine with, you know, some of your larger companies, they will try mm-hmm. and to keep you in, they'll try and offer to pay for your college uh, if they want you to get a yeah. degree. So I imagine. I, I'm pretty sure that they do have something along those lines too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually fairly certain that they do, especially if you move up into management. I'm not going to be an expert on everything management yeah, yeah. related just because I haven't, but I would That's imagine fine. like, 
I would imagine for sure that they do something along those lines. Cause I mean, not to like be the salesman of Texas Roadhouse, but like, <laughs> we like to say that we're a people company that focuses on steak. Like we have a whole, um, program called Andy's outreach. So it's a whole outreach fund that it's, it's voluntary for employees to pay into. I pay 50 cents a paycheck, which as a tipped employee, I don't see anyway, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> um, so when I get my W-2, I pay in like $37 a year or something like that. But what it does is it goes to this fund that exists to help um, Texas Roadhouse employees worldwide going through any kind of um, crisis or financial hardships, something through no fault of their own, like natural disasters, um, just medical emergencies, stuff like that. Like we were one of the companies that I saw popping up right around the time that COVID was really hitting that like our CEO forwent his salary for the rest of the year. And then I, I saw that article. That <laughs> yeah. I saw that article and I literally checked my bank account and it wasn't payday. And I had an extra $200 in there. And I was like, Oh wow. Oh, well, would you look at that? <laughs> so, I mean, it wasn't like a ton of money by any means, but I mean, they're at least putting their money where their mouth is. Like there was mm -hmm. a quick return on that. So that happened. And Another way is just making sure that, like, like I said, I'm sure that they help pay back with schools of some kind because, like, they're just that kind of company, honestly. Yeah. And then I, I feel like a lot of companies are trying to do that now. Like, I think even McDonald's has yeah. some sort of uh, scholarship or kind of, like, help Especially pay for school Especially if it's, program. like, yeah. But sure. so I also had a question. So once you started yeah. working there, was it easy – like, could you get as many hours as you wanted? Could you work up to 40 hours or more? Or was it hard to get up the hours you wanted? So it was very, it was very easy to get hours, honestly. So the way that it was is we use an app for our scheduling. It's called Hot Schedules. I like it. Okay. Um, not sponsored by Hot Schedules. Um, <laughs> but it could they, be um, if they offered. I know, right? <laughs> like they, um, but it's an app. So what you do is our schedule is kind of weird. It runs from Wednesday to Tuesday. But what happens is our managers will post up our schedule on there. And if you have open availability, you get five days a week that you'll be scheduled. Typically, none of them will be double shifts. But if, you know, you prefer that and you've talked to the manager about it, that's cool. Um, but what you'll do is it's just very intuitive. Like, it's got a function where you can release and pick up shifts on there. So if you want more hours, you can take a shift from somebody. Like, servers are young people. They're always trying to get a weekend shift picked up. You can always pick one up um weekdays you know most of our staff are students they're trying to work on papers and stuff you can find shifts to pick up You're um right exactly <laughs> and around the holidays i mean there's always there's always opportunities there's always people looking like honestly there are some days where somebody's like i really want to work can i please have somebody's shift and i'm just like i don't really want to work today i made fine money like this weekend and i'll message them and then they work for me so it that's another way that it kind of builds that camaraderie within the staff which is just a huge thing. But at the end of the day, like it was never difficult for me to get hours. Okay. It may have been, you know, but at the same time as a tipped employee, the hours aren't really necessarily the, the telling factor. It's really just the luck of the draw and who, whose butt goes in the seat at your table, honestly. Yeah. Like you never really know how people will tip until they do. That's another thing that I have learned over the years. Yeah. And I imagine there's, um, better hours to work like for efficiency sake so like i would imagine like sure. the hours five to seven make a lot more than the hours you know two to five for sure for sure um so there is something to be said about like the folks who will only work morning shifts because they need to stay on the schedule for one reason or another and then there's the people who are working like every week night weekend every shift mm -hmm. um because i mean honestly like 
this has just been a very strange year as far as like guesstimating how busy we're going to be because I just honestly don't know yeah. <laughs> with everything that's going on. But at the end of the day, like when we start getting busy, it's usually, you know, that five to eight and between two to five, it's like, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. I've had shifts where, because the way our bar scheduling kind of works is somebody will open at 10. There's a mid shift that comes in at three and then they stay. So the midshift comes in at three, the closer comes in at five, the midshift will stay until our waiting list is over. So once all the tables that are on the list are sat and there's no big parties or anything else coming in, they'll be the first cut. Um, And then the closer will finish cleaning everything and they're usually out by about an hour after we close. So what'll happen though is the mid will come in at three and they stand around and just kind of twiddle thumbs or like, you know, wipe some bottles off for two hours and then the closer comes in and then for another half an hour they're sitting waiting and then people start coming in. So, you know, it, it's supposed to be an incentive for the mid that they get to come in and have two hours by themselves. But if it's that mid, like, there's not really anything going on, hmm. which with college football, it gets a little bit better. Like, things are kind of starting to return to normal. But, like, that general midday kind of lull, it's just so, eh, it's boring. Yeah. <laughs> you just kind of have to be there and wait for it. Okay. Yeah. So then, um, and then how quickly you, you mentioned a couple of different positions. You mentioned you started out waiting tables, then you went to bartender, mm-hmm. trainer, and then training coordinator. Like kind of yep. like uh, what was the duration of each of those, I guess? So I was just serving, I want to say, for about the first year and a half. Um, after that point, I was approached by our management, and they really were just kind of honestly looking for people who they knew were on their P's and Q's. They knew had a passion for making sure that, Everybody felt welcome in the restaurant, just like general trainer qualities. They approached me and said that they were interested in making me a trainer. And um, at that point, I was honestly just ready to kind of get into the program just so that I could like, for lack of a better term, kind of boss people around. Like I was just kind of getting to a jaded point where I was like, why won't anybody, you know, restock cups? I always come over and there's no cups. And like, I was just kind of getting jaded at that point. So but they invited me to become a trainer. And at that point, they also invited me to be a bartender. I started doing them almost at the same time. I should have kind of said that. But um, they, so with the training aspect of it, I was just completely and utterly like not prepared for everything that it was going to ask of me. Um, I'll kind of get into that more later. But like, I remember my first trainee had, she just had a really hard time kind of being quick at first. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to handle that. I didn't, I had never had to be patient with teaching someone like that before. So I kind of realized like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a whole different beast to tackle. And then with bartending, that was also a whole other beast to tackle. It was a very kind of stressful time in my life. <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, it was very much worth it because I learned, I learned a lot all at once about being humble in regard to just like remembering what it's like to be a new person because I had been working there for a year and a half at that point. I felt like, oh, I've got tenure now, whatever. But I was seeing these new people who it's their first day and they're slow because they've never worked in a restaurant before. They don't really, and they're overwhelmed. They don't really know what's going on. The music is loud, all of that. Um, And then with bartending, just kind of adjusting to the new environment because going from serving tables to like actually bartending is such a different dynamic. Like you're there actively with your folks the whole time with the people you're serving Mm -hmm. and like learning how to like communicate with them and also kind of balance like your cleaning and balance the well of drinks that are ringing in and all of that. That was a whole other thing too. Cause you'd be making drinks for the tables as well. Not just the bar. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that was, you know, just really learning how to like that multitasking 
was a big endeavor to kind of figure out and wrap my head around. And then at the same time, if I did have serving shifts, I had trainees with me. So I was learning during that too. So that it was kind of overwhelming, but it was a really good experience, honestly, because it taught me a lot. So I did those. Um, I did both of those for a while, just those. I hadn't become the training coordinator yet until about a year later. So at this point, it was 2018. And honestly, what kind of instigated me to do that was I was having some frustrations in the restaurant. I was feeling a little fed up with some stuff. And Texas Roadhouse has a very open door policy. Like they're more than happy to, if you tell your manager that you need their time of day to talk to them about something that's bothering you, they will make time. Mm -hmm. Like, even if you have to remind them, like my boss, Kyle will make time if I need to talk to him. So I did, and I got all of kind of my frustrations out in the air, and I took some time off. I took about a month off, and I went and visited with um, my mom's parents who live in Washington, or lived in Washington, I should say. Um, I visited with other family that I hadn't seen, like, in years, and I just took time to kind of, like, be a person because I had been working so hard and pushing myself so hard for about a year doing the training and the bartending at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then once I came back, that was when they really approached me with the training coordinator position. And they said, now that you've taken some time and you've gotten your frustrations out, we see that you want this place to be better. Take that energy and channel it. Take it and do something good with it. So at that point was when I really started kind of saying, you know, okay, this is something that I can take and I can really do something good with it. And I can really kind of build myself up in return too. Because it's really kind of helped me to learn how to you know, be confident in a leadership role again, because like, you know, we learn all that stuff back at GMC, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like it kind of got put, put in like a compartment in my brain. And then when I got this position, I kind of realized, oh my gosh, like, hang on, I've done this before. Wait a minute. Deja vu. <laughs> so like, I kind of was able to use that too. So I don't know. I've really enjoyed it so far. I really enjoy kind of having people, um, know that they can come to me and that like I really do have their best interests at heart especially when they're new Mm -hmm. that's one of my biggest things because like being the new kid is the worst honestly (laughs) like whether you're going to a different school or a different job or like even like moving towns or whatever like being new kind of sucks you don't know anybody you don't know really what you're doing so having that person to kind of come in and like like I like to say the dad joke icebreaker like you come in and you're kind (laughs) of goofy and like you let them know that there's nothing to be afraid of. And at that point they can kind of relax a little bit because it's not this uptight tense kind of situation. And I'm fortunate enough to work for a company that is very, I don't want to say laid back because they aren't necessarily like just lax about everything. Like there's rules and stuff, but we're not, you know, we're in a suit and tie and like garçon, you know? (laughs) So it really kind of is good that I do that because I can hold these orientations that are fun where we play icebreaker Jenga, for example, it's, um, you know, the 48 Jenga pieces and they all have different questions on them. Mm -hmm. And so they'll go around the table, pulling them and like answering the questions and then we'll go around and kind of talk about it and just kind of getting to know each other, getting to like break that ice. I think that that's really cool. And I've worked in places where like, they don't do that. Like my first orientation that I ever did for any job was it was in No, I'm thinking of my steak and shake interview. I apologize. Or my steak and shake orientation. So it was just the three managers sat across the table from me telling me about all the rules and regulations. And I was just kind of sitting there like, yes, sir. No, sir. (laughs) That kind of thing. But, you know, if it had been something where, because 
A, I don't like to do orientations of just one person at a time. I like for there to be a group. I think that it's easier to start a new job when there are others. And honestly, lately, that hasn't been a problem because we've been trying to hire a lot of folks. (laughs) But, you know, that makes it easier, too. So honestly, like, that's just like my thing is I appreciate being able to be given that kind of liberty to be able to make it what I want to make it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, making sure that I get them the information that they need to know. I get them, you know the policies and procedures they need to know without having to necessarily make it, you know, stark white, sit down, talk like that. Yeah. Nice hand. Yeah. So are you, are you strictly doing the uh, training coordinating or do you do still do some waiting and bartending from time to time? So right now, (laughs) right now I'm one of the only full-time bartenders that we have. So I've been bartending a lot lately. Um, The money has been great. I will not complain, but (laughs) Um, I've been doing a lot of that, but at the same time, I've also been just kind of in tandem trying to put together, um, it's called a train the trainer. So it's kind of the big meeting where I get together all of my current trainers and my uh, prospective trainers, the folks who want to become trainers. And we sit down and for a couple of, I don't want to say a couple of hours, but like we'll sit down and talk through a PowerPoint where I explain to them the different things that they need to make sure that they follow when they train someone new. Um, We'll do a couple of icebreaker things where we'll kind of we'll do like role play around the restaurant and make them kind of role play from like a different position, like somebody in the kitchen or a host or something like that. Like we'll make them kind of think about it in terms of other people's positions so that they can kind of, cause I mentioned at the beginning, knowing all those different pieces and how they work together is very important in making sure that the whole thing works. Yeah. Um, but we'll do something along those lines. Typically we'll go through and, talk in terms of like the menu and make sure we go through the menu test and that everybody is on their P's and Q's as far as that, just as a refresher. But, you know, we'll end, it, we'll end that day with an outing or we'll do an outing within that week for the trainers so that they get to go out and they get to do um, team building exercises, essentially. Um, obviously, with COVID, that has been very interesting trying to make happen, <laughs> which is why this is the first one that I'm holding pretty much all year. Right now, I'm working on putting that whole shebang together. Um, luckily, we are fortunate enough to have a store marketer. So every roadhouse has their own store marketer. We don't nationally advertise. We do it very locally. Mm-hmm. So what she does is she just goes out there and gets you know our word out. She basically is responsible for putting people into chairs. Um, but she has all kinds of different trade outs with different places where we can do outings. So we won't have to pay to go like bowling or... I think she has like laser tag, the shooting range, like stuff like that. So I can kind of work with her and be able to do those things for free for them. So I'm working with her on that right now. Um, She also trades out with other restaurants to feed us for the day. So we get lunch for free. Um, But right now I'm just kind of working on putting together my whole presentation and everything like that. I like to spruce it up up every time that I do it. So um, I'm working on that right now. I'm excited about it. It's going to be on the 19th. So it's coming up pretty soon, actually. Oh, okay. But yeah. that's just kind of where I'm at right now as far as working on that. Um, but that's just part of what I do is just making sure that the trainers are trained properly to be trainers. Um, it gets very, like, train, 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 sorry. Um, <laughs> but I just really have a passion for making sure, like, my biggest thing is making sure that the new people come in and that they are set up for success. Our whole thing is like, I'm not going to set you out there with your tables if you're not sure of what you're doing. Yeah. And I'm going to make sure that I trust the people who are teaching you. And that's the whole thing behind it. So when you're first in training, mm-hmm. um, I'm just kind of curious about the progression of pay for people who may be wondering. When you're first yeah. doing the training, are you paid at the same rate as a full 
you know, a waiter. It's like a server would be just like yeah. on their own. So what'll happen when you're training is you get, you get minimum wage when you train. That's just training pay. Yeah. That's not tipped. You're just you're not getting the tips. So. Exactly. So you're just strictly supposed to be learning at that point. So it, once you get done with your training days, you obviously validate. And at that point you get the access to the server button, which the server button is just the two thirteen an hour plus tips button, mm-hmm. which kind of is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cause the whole thing with that is just that, you know, especially as far as like tax purposes go, like I'm glad that that 213 does go toward that because in a lot of instances um, you may be claiming your money, like for IRS purposes, like claiming your tips, but it's not necessarily being taxed. Okay. So that's a whole other thing as far as, you know, a lot of our servers are in school. So they do get, you know, when they file their taxes, they do still get money back because they get their money back from school. Mm-hmm. But um, like my first year that I was just serving tables, I wasn't in school. I didn't really think about it. And then I went to file my taxes and hot dog. That was a fun year. I will leave it at that. But, um, you know, that's another reason why I really enjoy doing my training coordinator stuff because I get paid hourly for that. So that money kind of goes, I don't necessarily see it. It goes to my taxes. But this last year that I um, was full-time doing training coordinator and full-time doing um, bartending, I actually finally got a refund for the first time in years. So, you know, (laughs) a lot of people won't be happy about doing two different jobs like that and having one be hourly and one be tipped because oftentimes a lot of, like a lot of, if not all of the money that you're making from those hourly shifts is going directly into your taxes because that's, Mm -hmm. you know, legally they're, they're withdrawing that money. You know what I mean? Like they would be doing that even if you were just getting a paycheck, but because a lot of the time, the hourly 213 isn't adding up to those taxes you owe. You end up owing a ton of money at the end of the year. Yeah, that makes sense. So they only withdraw the taxes on the $2.13? Right. They are, they're only withdrawing taxes a lot of the time on the money that they are actually actively paying you. They're not accounting for the money that you are being taxed. Oh, and then you would be having to claim that, and that's yep. where it comes back. Yeah. Okay. So, so you kind of have to be... Say, you know, you've only withheld the $600 of taxes, but, mm. you know you've you've made like 40,000 this year you know what I mean yeah. so like it ends up just not adding up well no, no that's a good golden nugget uh people who are going in as a server should yeah, keep that in mind be aware of that because it um and hold some back for it that. definitely <laughs> snuck up on me and I was paying it off for a hot minute yeah so um big tip for uh servers file your taxes early be prepared to see numbers that you have not seen before if you were going into being tipped because it may or may not sneak up on you Okay. And then, uh, did you get, uh, like a pay increase when you were a trainer? So, yes. So what they'll do is they actually, they pay you an extra dollar an hour. So it takes you up to three thirteen. which again, you don't necessarily see it, but it is that extra dollar kind of going paying in. Mm-hmm. You also, this is what I like. You get fed every time that you train. The trainees okay. also get fed anytime that they train, um, for free. They can get pretty much whatever they want as long as they don't like break the bank. Um, <laughs> And we also just try and make sure that they're treated with not like superiority, but they just give priority as far as, you know, good shifts, um, as far as making sure that they get the hours that they necessarily want. Like they get kind of first priority as far as that goes and they get like different shirts to wear and they get different like name tags and stuff like that, which seems dumb, but like swag goes farther than you think. It's actually (laughs) like, especially at work, if you're making something even a little bit fun, sometimes people like react way better than you think they will. Um, 
But yeah, so they, you know, and I always try to make sure that they know that they can come to me if they ever have an issue or they feel like they're not getting that preference necessarily, just because I want to make sure that they know, you know, they're working hard for me. I want to work hard for them in return. They're training these new folks. Like if in a perfect world, I could clone myself and train everybody properly the first time around, but that's just the control freak in me. I have to learn how to trust other people to do it. So being able to have those people that I trust, you know, I'm more than happy to make sure that they're happy. Um, And I'm always asking them, like, is there anything that you think I should start including as like an incentive to be a trainer? And they start getting dramatic about it and saying like, oh, more pay increase. And I'm like, okay, like pump your brakes. I'm going to do what I can, but like something realistic. Um, Because obviously I'm not in charge of any of that, but, um, but yeah, I try to make sure that they're getting taken care of. And when you became the training coordinator, mm-hmm. you swapped back to uh, uh, hourly pay like mm-hmm. you were when you were first doing training, but it, I'm assuming it's higher than minimum wage? Yes. So it is higher than that. And it's it's something that I'll only clock in as if I'm actively doing something pertaining to that job description. Okay. So like if I'm bartending, I'm not clocked in for, you know, $10, $11 an hour. I'm going to be clocked in for my minimum wage because A, I don't really need the extra money on top of what I can make, but B, you know, that's just super unethical. Yeah. Um I'll only be clocked in for that if I'm doing actively doing like an orientation. Um, I lead bar classes for new servers. So it's just a PowerPoint presentation and a fill in the blank worksheet where we sit down and we talk about, you know, especially for folks who are like 18, 19, 20, they haven't necessarily been out to like bars really yet. Mm-hmm. And explaining like, like, you pronounce it yingling. <laughs> <laughs> like just going through it and making sure like that they don't have to have that awkward conversation with their table later where, you know, they come up to me and they're like, what is yangling? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's okay. It's okay. Like, and that kind of ties back into my whole thing being that I want to make sure that they are prepared and that they can go out there and don't have to look silly because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, But so I'll do that. Um, If I'm doing um, just stuff as far as like train the trainer stuff, or like, even if I'm working on like, I have um, a couple of boards that I'll have like bulletin boards where I have, um, pictures of the training team, different stuff that we're focusing on. Um, When we have secret shoppers going on, I have a board for those, which that's a whole other thing. Um, And just like stuff like that. I want to make one that has like birthdays and anniversaries and stuff like that. That's one of my little projects I have on the back burner that I want to start. But if I'm ever working on anything like that, I'll be clocked in as my training coordinator description, but that's pretty much it. Okay. Yeah. And now I usually ask people like kind of like what their pay is roughly Obviously, uh, this is, you know, can be very variable. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, maybe you could give a, give an idea to the audience, like, uh, on a good night, uh, okay. first of all, like, I don't know how long a typical shift is, but you could say how much you would m- expect to make on a good night and how much would you expect to make on a bad night and roughly so how many if hours. I, if I'm serving tables, because serving and bartending is going to widely vary. Okay. If I'm serving tables, I would say, like, a general good night for me is... I try to make a hundred dollars a shift. I okay. think that that's doable. You know, it isn't always, sometimes we're slow. Sometimes things, you know, don't work out right. But like I go in with the mentality of I can make a hundred dollars tonight or I can make a hundred dollars this morning or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. A lot of the time I may not necessarily get to that level, but I go in with that mentality, like hoping and with that attitude, because like, it's going to sound a little bit superstitious, but like, I'm convinced that when guests come in and they're in your section, they can kind of feel the energy coming off of you. If you go in big money energy, people like genuinely, they'll kind of feel that and they're more willing to be generous. Like it's all about how you kind of carry yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, a bad night, you know, you're walking out with, I've had nights before where I've made 
less than minimum wage for my hours worked, which, you know, that's just obviously not fun to have happen. But like at the end of the day, like if you look at how much I'm going to make over the span of a week, because it does vary so widely, I'm making about an average of the same amount. Okay. Um, for bartending, I would say like a bad night is different because, you know, there was a Friday, maybe two weeks ago that I only made like I ended up making maybe about $100, but when we initially did the split, because on weekend nights, we'll have two bartenders there together. We just split the money right down the middle at the end of the shift when he gets cut uh, or she, whoever I'm working with. So (laughs) we'll go through the money and everything. And really it then becomes, you know, how hard did I work mainly at this well, making these drinks for these people and, you know, making sure everything is clean and handled as far as that goes in return compared to how much in tips we made because you know tip share is something that i'll kind of briefly talk about where or tip out where the service staff will tip take some of their tip money and give it to other uh positions in the restaurant so giving part of that to the host stand giving part of that to the bus boys or we call them essays server assistants um and the bar so ours all goes through that same system that kind of the payroll system is going through Mm -hmm. So that money in turn gets sucked into taxes too for me. Okay. So, you know, it's not as if we're not being compensated by the servers in the form of part of their tips for making those drinks, Mm -hmm. but I never really see it. So, you know, it then becomes, you know, how hard did I have to work making other people's drinks compared to how much did we actually end up making from the people who decided to sit with us tonight? Because that's another thing with the bar is people can actively come and decide to sit down with you. Mm -hmm. And you may just not have anybody who wants to come sit with you. Like I've had nights like that where the dining room is kind of popping, but it's Sunday night and it's a bunch of families out together and nobody's really kind of wanting to come sit at the bar. Or like things like Mother's Day will get kind of sketchy because people will come up there, but it's only once all the tables are full. Yeah. So, you know, it, it is what it is with that. But at the end of the day, you know, the whole big draw to serving tables, honestly, especially for young people, is that a lot of times you can just take that money home that night. Like yeah. you need to make your car payment. You can pick up a shift and go make some money. Um, you know, it's not necessarily the most responsible line of thinking. And I try mm-hmm. to tell some people that, but they don't really necessarily listen. Um, but at the end of the day, as far as that goes, um, I just lost my train of thought. I had something to feed off of that with, but yeah, that's like a big problem that I'll see people kind of get into is like, even if you are in that industry and you do get to take home your money every night, try and still make a financial plan for yourself and make sure that you're not just having that cash burn that hole in your pocket. Like a lot of the time, the first thing that I will do with my cash once I leave work is because A, I feel unsafe with large amounts of cash on me and B, I need money in my bank account is I will immediately go deposit it in like the ATM at my bank because I don't want it on me, A, and like, you know, I know that if I have $100 sitting in my pocket, it's going to burn a hole there and I'm going to want to do something with it. I've had to be strict with myself about it. So that's another piece of advice. If you go into serving and you're taking home money every night, make yourself a financial plan. Yeah. Even though you can't necessarily know what you're going to make, like that again makes it more on you to kind of plan. Yeah. So, um, but then again, I'm going to kind of talk about another model that I know that restaurants will have is they um, they'll actually take credit card tips and pay it on a biweekly or weekly basis, like a paycheck. Like they'll withhold that money at the end of the night. Like if you get tipped in cash, like that money is yours. You're going to claim that and take it home. 
But some places, if you know, you adjust the payment in the computer, they left me an $8 tip on the credit card receipt, that money won't go home with them for, you know, maybe another week or so. So that's okay. not to say that like every restaurant has a system where you're taking home money every night. Um, and I honestly kind of prefer the model that does the weekly or biweekly payment on a, you know, a, it, sometimes they'll do it on a money network card or they'll do it just direct deposit, however you would choose to do it. But that helps a lot because then the tips you're getting are taxed hmm. and you're not facing that just 213 paying into your taxes. Oh, okay. I see. So then you don't have to worry as much when tax time comes around. That's the way that um, my boyfriend Forrest, he works at a Korean barbecue restaurant. So that's the way that it works there. Okay. So I kind of prefer that model at the end of the day. Like I know that I can kind of plan my money, but I feel like, especially for younger people, like, and I don't want to say that younger people need to have their money kind of handled for them, but at the end of the day, it's a little more convenient, especially if you are kind of living that lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, they're still learning how to manage money. For sure. For sure. So, um, can they, if they get tips on credit cards, I guess Mm -hmm. at Texas Roadhouse, can they go and like cash out their tips for the night? So, the way that it has been since um, COVID happened. So when COVID happened, we all, we went fully just to goes. We never shut down, but we went fully to goes. Mm-hmm. So what we had to do to make sure that everybody was getting their portion of the tip money properly, because it was just too complicated to try and take a pile of money and divide it 15 ways. And then you realize somebody was left out of the split and it's a mess. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we ended up actually just going to, like the cash obviously was still just divided amongst the people, but if it was a credit card tip, we um, we were all issued money network cards that would get our share of the tips on it the next day. Okay. So that um, kind of has followed us back into reopening because now even if you're serving tables on your own, like those tips are yours since they already have the credit, uh, the money network card system in place. What happens now is at the end of the night, you run a, report basically of all of your sales for the night we call it your checkout slip and it'll do it does a math problem for you so it takes all the cash payments that you've taken for food for the night and all of the credit card tips that you've gotten and it takes the difference of those and tells us if you owe us money back because you took more money than you got in credit card tips in cash payments Mm -hmm. or if we owe you money back because you know say somebody paid you here's an example, like nobody paid you in cash. All you got all day were credit card receipt tips. Mm -hmm. So you would have a negative amount on your receipt at the end of the night. And that's the amount of money that we then pay you on the money network card. So it's kind of, it's weird because if you get paid in cash enough during the day, you get to take all your tips home. But if you didn't, we're not paying you out. You have to wait and get it on your uh, money network card. So it's a little bit weird. I'm not a huge fan of that because I used to really like when I was younger, the idea of being able to always take my money home. Mm -hmm. But it kind of is what it is. Yeah. Um, it's not like a huge problem. You still get the money like either the next day or if you're unlucky the day after, but you, you'll you get your money. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of that same mentality of like, I need it now. It's my money and I need it now. Like, um, <laughs> But yeah, it's not that bad. Okay. Uh, so another question I was going to ask you yeah. is, so people who go to restaurants, they see that side of the server and that side of the service and everything. Could you kind of go into detail, like what's what people don't know about it if they haven't worked in it that they may be unprepared for? Oh, absolutely. So are you talking in terms of like how, how the servers and like restaurant staff are kind of behind closed doors or are we talking like just things about the industry that people might not necessarily know? 
I guess both would be interesting. I was talking more more about the individual, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, so um, really it's just one of those things like obviously, you know, you're going to have people who are in the service industry just because they think that they can make a lot of money in terms of tips, but they don't necessarily have the right personality for it. Like, (laughs) I've known some people who can put on uh, what they think is, you know, obviously everybody is aware of the customer service personality, TM, like that everybody kind of has working with the public. Mm -hmm. But um, I've definitely known people who are better chameleons than others as far as making sure that that personality is on or is not. Um, But I can tell you for a fact that every single person has had that one or two tables that just are completely ridiculous. And you come in the back and you're just like, guys, y'all will not believe what is going on over here. (laughs) Like, that's another way that we really all kind of become like, closer friends and working together because everybody ends up getting that one or two tables where like, you know, obviously you're going to tell them yes. And yes, I will go ahead and get you ketchup and mustard for your salad today, sir. How'd a guy do that? And then you go in the back and you just, y'all will not believe this man out here is eating this salad with ketchup and mustard on it. But um, that's just like one example of that. Like another thing is like <laughs> the, the kitchen, like you'll see memes online, especially about like, kitchen guys like you better tell your girl you love her because if you don't there's 10 kitchen guys who are like that's that's honestly like a very real thing as well like I don't want to say that it's like you know a rampant like harassment thing or anything like that but like one of our Hispanic chefs will come up and he calls me hermosa every day and asks me (laughs) where my boyfriend is like just stuff like that like everybody is kind of it's a different culture it really is working in a restaurant is very very much its own thing and like, oh, it's hard to explain. Like they definitely toughen you up. You definitely have to be ready to see some things that you haven't seen before if you are not very, you know, if you're kind of naive like I was when I first started serving tables, you're gonna need to prepare to see some things that you haven't seen before. Because, <laughs> you know, you've got, you know, I don't wanna say like ex-felons, but like, you know, you have all different kinds of people from different walks of life who've seen everything and been everywhere. So you're gonna see some things you're not ready to see. Like, mm. I'm trying to think, like I had a coworker, she's still, a, she's had a very big impact on me and how I think about, you know, just the world in general, honestly. Like I was working with her at Steak and Shake back in the day and her name was Jessica. And she was, she was very hardworking. She was always there. Like she was, she got a lot of hours because she really needed the money. And I remember one night she asked me for a ride home. And so I gave her a ride and she was living in a hotel. And that was a thought that like in my life, I had never even thought about. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, obviously I had acknowledged like sometimes people have to live in and out of a hotel because of whatever, but I had never known anybody who was like kind to me and who I considered my friend who I didn't even realize was in that kind of situation. Yeah. So, you know, kind of having that like, really kind of getting to meet those people, I think had a really big impact on me and helped me to really kind of open my mind and see like what other people really are going through out there. Because, you know, it, you never do know until you know. And that honestly is another reason why I really enjoy, you know, my job and making sure that new people are accepted because I don't know what those people are going through and we do take all, all kinds. So really, you know, that is its own thing. But, um, but yeah, I don't really know where else to go with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess more pertaining to the job, what what are you doing on the job that the people in, who are sitting down don't see? Okay, so 
One of the biggest um, things that everybody has to get over when they first start serving tables is not being afraid to carry trays because what they don't see, this is my favorite thing, is us teaching somebody how to carry a tray around <laughs> with different random objects on it in the back that can't be broken. Because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about, like the big ovals that people will put up like above their head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So when you first are starting off doing that, you look at that, you're like, I can't do that. And so like <laughs> having to teach those people that like you don't just come running out the gate able to carry like nine glasses on a tray or able to carry the big food over your head and stuff like that. Um, I think that they don't see <laughs> I think that they don't see how um, I don't want to say like different the conditions are than they think they are are as far as, you know, who is cooking your food and what that person is like. Because mm -hmm. I, you know, working at Texas Roadhouse, I've had some people who assume, like, I don't know what they think, that somebody is in the back just wearing a cowboy hat, yeehaw, cooking your food. But, like, <laughs> that is not the way that it is. Um, you know, I actually, I don't think that they realize how the people making their food are real people and how hard that they work. Because um, I'm going to kind of go into a tangent here. So I met my boyfriend at Texas Roadhouse. He was actually working in a position called hot prep at the time. Mm -hmm. So what that position entails is they're making all of the hot sides and sauces for the day, basically. So they're responsible for like the baked potatoes and sweet potatoes, um, homemade mashed potatoes, green beans, corn, rice, brown gravy, cream gravy. Like there's a whole litany of stuff that they're responsible for doing. And I remember specifically one time we had a table ask, um, do your mashed potatoes come from a box? And in my brain, I'm like, actually, there's a young man slaving away over a hot stove back there. <laughs> but like, you know, I don't think that they really consider the fact that when you're going out to eat, it really is something that somebody is putting their their life into. It really is something that people are working really hard to like make happen for them. And, you know, I can't necessarily speak to like different places where, you know, everything comes in flash frozen and like, it's not necessarily a big shebang. Like you've got chef, chef microwave making everything, but like, at least where I work, we make a whole, like, that's one of our things that we, you know, one of our claims to fame is that a lot of our stuff is very much scratch made. Like we make all our salad dressings. We make all of those sides from scratch, stuff like that. So I don't think that they realize that there really is love getting put into everything that they're eating a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that they realize that, we are a few people trying to make food for a lot of folks. Yeah. Like um, the same, one of our other, uh, one of our coworkers, he's been doing like a lot of our coworkers actually have been working at that store for 17 years, like since it's been there. So we have one guy who he's one of our broilers. So he uh, makes the steaks, the pork chops and the chicken. He's over the grill. Mm -hmm. uh, he's been there for 17 years. And I'm talking, this man will every once in a while have like 30 steaks on one grill mm -hmm. and he's just been doing it for so long that every single one will come out cooked right and i don't know how the man does it i really don't but like it's that kind of thing like they don't see that happening but at the same time like he's making it work mm -hmm. and that's honestly like i'm honestly kind of glad that they don't have to know that that's going on because that's the idea is that they don't have to know that we're super busy we're still putting that product out and it's still good mm -hmm. um let me think what else do they not see <laughs> They don't see when things will go wrong at a moment's notice and we have to just kind of accommodate for that and keep <laughs> it going and they don't ever have to know. Yeah. Like um, last night we had an incident where one of our essays was taking the trash out and he cut his hand and 
from what I understand, it was actually pretty bad, but I was out in the front. I was bartending. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even know anything was going on until, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes later when our manager came back out and was like, well, the ambulance is on its way. And I'm like, (laughs) who, what is going on? So, you know, that kind of thing, making sure that they don't have to know if anything is going wrong, that kind of thing. Um, All you do to keep them in a relaxed atmosphere. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that they realize how high pressure it is sometimes for us to make sure that they are relaxed. Yeah. Um, Have you ever had like a shift where you just like broke down because like everything felt like it was going wrong at once? (laughs) So, okay. I had a night kind of recently that I didn't necessarily break down because of what had happened at work, but it was not a helpful factor in the bad day that I had. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> I was bartending by myself, which typically any given night, there will be at least two bartenders scheduled, even if it's a weeknight, because, um, Monday through Thursday, we're only open from four to 10. We're only open for dinner. Mm-hmm. So feasibly one bartender can work that shift by themselves open to close. And I've done it a couple times. So I can say like, it's doable. It's just not necessarily very fun mm-hmm. because you don't really want to be there all night from open to close. It's just kind of stressful, which, you know, you get to keep all the money to yourself. So it's fine. But I was doing that, um, I think it was two Tuesdays ago or something like that. And about 7.20, one of our servers came up to the well and she said, um, none of the tickets have been printing in the kitchen for about 20 minutes now. <laughs> and I, she's, she and I are kind of friends. So I was like, are you kidding me? Are you joking? Because I, I thought it was a sick joke. It was not. So I had a whole bar, 15 people worth, where I had had tickets in since six. 50 this is like 720 ish um (laughs) and they hadn't even hit the grill yet because they hadn't printed and i didn't know which to be fair to my management like i was a little irate at first because i was like why didn't anybody tell me before now but one of our managers was stuck on the phone with tech support in the office because it was loud and she couldn't hear them otherwise and then the other one was running damage control on the whole dining room so i get it But it was not fun. And then I had to then go and tell people, you know, hey, due to an error in our kitchen, you know, it's going to be a little bit longer. So I was fortunate in that I had very understanding people at the time who, you know, they were responding with, you know, oh, an excuse to have another beer, I guess. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's fine with me. (laughs) But um, it was just one of those things where like you all of a sudden will find yourself just completely up the creek without a paddle and I, I've gotten pretty decent at being able to prioritize and get myself out of it. Like we call it being in the weeds in the restaurant industry where you're just in it and you cannot find your way out because you are so busy and have so much to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty good at getting myself out. Like I can figure out a way to like get all the drinks made and get everybody handled. But at the, at that moment when I had 10 tickets that were sitting in my well, because I couldn't make them since I had been in the back writing all of my food orders by hand, it was just, you know, it was one of those moments where, you know, you have to stop and kind of take a second and breathe and say, okay, we will get through this. Go ahead and talk to the people, make sure that they're okay. And then handle the other stuff. Because I mean, my managers couldn't come and bail me out. They, mm-hmm. they had their own piles going on. So, you know, I, I kind of will steal this from like some Facebook post I saw when you're bartending and really in life, like when you're juggling stuff, like there sometimes will be so much going on that you're going to drop balls. But some of the balls in life are plastic and some are glass. Mm. As long as you make sure that the glass ones don't fall, you can let a couple of other plastic ones go. So, you know, you can't necessarily not write down the food ticket 
by hand because the tickets aren't printing. You have to go do that. That's the glass ball that you then have to carry. But then, you know, if the servers have to wait a minute for their margaritas at that point, that's one that we can just kind of let go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was one of those nights where, and I mean, there's always going to be times in the restaurant industry where things will inevitably just happen. It is what it is. That's any rest. That's any business. Honestly, things happen, but you know, I think back over the years, over the times when things have gone wrong like that. And I'm very thankful that if I've had to go through experiences where things are going wrong on the job, I've had the coworkers and the camaraderie with these people that I have, because at the end of the day, we're always able to like close and get everything done and then look at each other and kind of laugh, laugh it off, honestly, because it's like, Hey, remember when that was completely ridiculous earlier? Yeah, that happened. Like it, it really isn't like that bad when things go wrong. Like, you know, that the next day will come, you know, that the next, you know, shift will happen. And it may be the next, the best shift you ever had. You might get, you know, however big a tip you want. You never know. That's the coolest thing I like about the restaurant industry is, you know, like Forrest Gump, you never know what you're going to get. So <laughs> yeah. that's really what I love about it though. Like feeding off of a bad story and then telling you how much I love it. Like I sound like such a silly person, but like, it really is what it is. Well, that kind of goes well into my next question. I was going to ask you, what what are some of the factors, and this can be generalized, not necessarily uh, Texas Roadhouse, but like in this industry, what are some of the factors that you think drives people away from the career? What factors uh, do you think drives people to the careers? Um, I think that honestly, a lot of people do get driven toward it, like we said, by, you know, that mentality of the convenience of, oh, it's a part-time job. Like it's easy money. I get to take cash home. Like, I think that they get drawn in kind of by that or a lot of, um, a lot of people I've seen come through our doors are actually like friends or siblings or family members who, you know, they've heard about it and they want to come and work with their friends because they, they hear that we are such like a camaraderie based, like partnership, Mm -hmm. um, team involvement kind of place where we want to make sure that everybody is like, kind of comes together and can do that big machine dance where we all get our jobs done right. But um, I think that once they get in, what'll keep people who are meant for the industry is I think that you have to have a certain tolerance for customer service that some people just do not have. I think that, you know, and honestly, because like, I'll talk about my boyfriend one more time. Like he's in engineering school. So Mm -hmm. he's not necessarily serving tables because he loves customer service you know what I mean and you know he tells me all the time like I don't know how you have such a passion for this da 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 because it very much is just a, a job while he's in school for him but that's how I know that there's a difference between restaurant people and non-restaurant people because like yeah growing up I wasn't necessarily a huge people person by any means I wasn't like going out of my way to go and make a ton of friends but it's kind of changed for me now because being in the restaurant industry I have met so many different people it's kind of opened my mind and made me realize like Maybe I was missing out. Maybe like, it's just really different. It's different than I even thought I would ever think. Um, A lot of that I think has to do with like building a regular base and really getting to know the clientele that you're serving. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that it also has to do a lot with um, just really understanding like what people are expecting and being able to give them that experience and like being able to make those people happy. Like, I'm kind of a people pleaser. I won't even lie. Like, I think that's a big reason why I work well in customer service, but like, it really is. It makes me happy when I can, you know, surprise a little kid with their birthday ice cream and make them happy and be able to like have that happen. It makes me happy when I can, you know, if somebody has a severe allergy, if I can take that seriously and make sure that they can comfortably enjoy their dinner, like 
I am more than happy to do that. And I get something out of that. Mm. Maybe that's just a me thing, but I think that restaurant people in general have that kind of giving quality to them. Yeah. You know, they, they want to make people happy. They, and they love food. They wouldn't be doing it if they didn't. So (laughs) that's another thing. So for those people that are passionate about the career, what do you think frustrates them the most and makes them want to leave despite if they like it? I think that what can kind of frustrate people the most in a restaurant environment is because a lot of restaurants don't have, um, like they'll have middle management and stuff like that, that haven't necessarily gotten a degree or anything. They've just kind of been promoted and they haven't even necessarily had like a ton of in-house training as far as like managing. I think that underqualified or just not properly trained management can have a big impact on it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the time you'll have people who start off serving or they start off in some part of the restaurant and they want to move up and they do have that mentality of, oh, I can just boss people around and they get in the mentality of kind of, you know, and this is about no one in particular, but, you know, they get into a mentality of kind of micromanaging instead of let's look at the bigger picture here and see like what really we need to be working on. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, you know, micromanaging is easy. Looking at the bigger picture stuff is a a little bit more difficult and takes a little more brain power. So I can see why people kind of fall into the habit of doing it, especially in management like that. Mm -hmm. And especially in a, in a restaurant environment, because it is so fast paced and it is kind of hard to wrap your head around things sometimes. But, um, you know, I've heard about it from different places, like all over. I've heard about it where restaurant managers have a hard time kind of seeing the bigger picture and like being able to balance not only, you know, what their staff kind of wants and needs to thrive and do better and what they are being asked to do by, you know, whether it be people above them or what they're stuck in as far as their finances go, because it is their own business. Mm -hmm. Um, which is not to say that they're all bad. It's not to say that, you know, restaurant managers, da 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 they're, they don't know what they're doing or anything like that, because absolutely, I don't believe that. But it can be difficult when you are trying to balance a restaurant to be able to really, like, look at it without that bias and be able to see what really needs to happen. And that's where I think that people like me can kind of come in who aren't necessarily in management, but I work very intimately with pretty much the whole staff. Mm-hmm. at some point or another, because no matter what I'm doing, their orientation. So at some point I have at least a one-on-one conversation with every single person who comes in the door. So being able to take that and be able to take people's opinions, you know, and be able to go to my management, because I know that they know I've been there long enough to know that they'll listen to me. Basically, they know yeah. that I'm not going to come to them with an issue and just, you know, you can drop some hints here and, there. and they don't think that the employee discount is big enough. Like I'm not going to come to them with <laughs> something like that. It's going to be something along the lines of, you know, hey, maybe we should consider holding training days, um, not on weekend nights or something like that, like having a new server start on a Friday night. That's not very fair if you ask me. That's Mm -hmm. something that, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth on in my restaurant personally. But, you know, just looking at stuff like that where we can kind of not micromanage the trainee for doing poorly on their first night when it's a Friday night and they're overwhelmed. But instead looking at, hey, maybe we should change the change the training program so that we don't put this person in this circumstance so that they can thrive. Yeah. So that's so, just kind of an example of that. But that's honestly the biggest problem I've seen. Other than that, I think that honestly, the restaurant industry is just hard work. It is just yeah. hard work for what it is. Um, you know, like I, I'm not going to say I'm super in shape or anything, but like there are times that I have to pick up a full keg by myself and put it up on a shelf. And those six inches are the strongest I ever feel, <laughs> but you know, like it's hard work and there's a lot of reaching, like I'm only five too. So like 
reaching high shelves and reaching into coolers gets a little difficult sometimes. I'm not even going to lie. And I can see how somebody wouldn't want to work that hard forever. You know what I mean? I can see how somebody wouldn't want to, you know, be in that situation and kind of like, I'm not going to say like wreck their body by any means, but it's not easy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think about like, like my boss, Kyle, I love the man, poor guy. He's had just like back issues on back issues and I'll see him, you know, pulling food out of the window and I see him hurting and, you know, that's kind of what, what happens. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that will also kind of be a deciding factor for some people. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much like what I can think of off the top of my head as far as what might drive people away, which like I said, in general, the restaurant industry is just not for everybody. So eventually if you get tired of it, like I completely understand. Okay. So then if you are pursuing uh, the restaurant industry as a career, we'll say from your perspective where you've started kind of working up and going up positions, mm. uh, I mean, what do you see as kind of like a long-term role in the industry? Like, would, could you see yourself trying to get a manager position or a part owner position or? Honestly, yeah, like I could. I could see that being something. And that's something that I've actually been playing around with recently, like the idea of doing that because um, they're looking for new key managers at my store in particular but at the same time i'm also i haven't mentioned this yet but i'm going they're opening a new um roadhouse up in rome georgia Mm -hmm. so i'm actually going to be part of the training team that goes up and helps open the new store okay so i'm kind of playing around with the idea of looking at working up there and possibly moving a little closer but that's nothing that i'm going to say for sure and it is not set in stone or anything like that but it's kind of an idea i'm playing with because there are a few opportunities kind of knocking right now as far as that goes Um, I know for a fact that if I wanted to pursue management that I would, the only reasons I really haven't yet are because honestly, bartending, I make way too much money to say no to that. And my regulars know me and I just love what I do. So that is what it is. Mm -hmm. But also I don't want to manage in the store that I've been in for four and a half years. I think that I am too personally invested in a lot of the people there that becoming their manager on certain shifts would just kind of be a conflict of interest for me. Like, I don't want to say that I'm going to, like, not be able to, like, draw a line or anything, but I don't want to become, you know, oh, she moved up, she's turning corporate, da, da. Like, I've seen it happen to other people before where, you know, they get looked at, like, the butt kisser, like, oh, you're moving up in the in the restaurant, like, which mm-hmm. they already know that I'm training coordinator, and a lot of them, like, I don't think would treat me that way, but if I'm going to manage, I kind of want to have a clean slate to do that. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of played around with that idea. Honestly, right now I'm kind of happy where I am and I'm going to kind of do this opening come uh, November and see how that goes. But honestly, I could definitely see, you know, the opportunities are definitely there. The only reason that I haven't gone forward with it is just personal reasons of my own. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that the restaurant industry can be very conducive to moving up and really making something of yourself and really being able to build a career you just really have to want it. You have to be willing to work hard because if there's anything that does not do well in the restaurant industry, it is bad work ethic. Nobody else is going to be able to like make it happen for you. If you want to move up, you got to make it happen. Yeah. Okay. And then that kind of leads on to the next point. I was going to talk about what do you think are some of the challenges uh, that I guess this industry sees. And I think one of them that I think is an issue, but I, I don't know firsthand is I feel like when they're trying to get managers and everything, Mm -hmm. sometimes the manager pay is less than like uh, bartender pay or even server pay. Mm -hmm. So do you think that's an issue as well? Cause then you're, you're maybe not attracting your best and brightest. 
So the whole thing with that is just the fact that it's difficult to say that bartenders and servers get, you know, quote unquote, get paid more than managers do because, you know, technically it is the 213 plus tips in quotes. You know, you don't really know what that value is going to be. Whereas the managers are getting that guaranteed, you know, $13 an hour or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And do they start getting more benefits? Do you know? So they get benefits starting when they, um, I know for sure once they get salaried, they definitely get benefits. Mm -hmm. But as far as the key managers, like just the hourly paid managers, I'm not 100% certain. Um, I would assume that they would have certain resources for them, like of some kind, because they are working that hourly. And like, that would probably just go into the typical employee benefits anyway. Okay. But um, I'm not 100% sure about that. I would have to ask. But they do... um, I think that the whole appeal is they have that guaranteed money and they have that manager experience that they can put on their resume. Um, But at the same time, you know, like it's just because we can't say for sure how much a bartender or a server is making. Mm -hmm. And do I think it's fair? You know, I, I think that it's fair that if you are working as that server or bartender, like if you completely get your, you know, whole ship just capsized during the night because you're so busy you know, I think that you deserve to make that money that you make with your tips. Whereas mm-hmm. with a manager, like, I don't necessarily know if it's fair, like, because then I start thinking about managers who have to deal with, like, Karen after Karen, if you will, during a night where we just have a bad group of clientele that come in and they don't get anything special in return for that. So, you know, I I think there are pros and cons. I think that it takes a special person to be a good manager and go into that role and really be able to do it well. Mm-hmm. Um because you kind of do have to have that passion. It kind of has to come to a place, it come from a place that is not just there for the paycheck. Yeah. Which is not to say that I'm only there for the paycheck. I know that that kind of looks, but at the end of the day, you know, like I prefer my bartending and I like to do it. And I, I haven't quite gotten to a place yet where I'm over it. So I'm kind of going to ride this train till the wheels fall off. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to kind of do that until I get kind of sick of it. But like I said, opportunities are knocking. Things could change. I'm not going to say anything is for sure. If I've learned anything, it's not to kind of plan things out too hard for myself because we see how that went with college. Um, So yeah, I'm just kind of trying to see where it goes. I don't think that managers like, honestly, like I think restaurant managers need like their own day of the year because they work very hard (laughs) and they listen to a lot of complaining and they have a lot of staff that rely on them. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think it takes a special kind of person to do it and it has to come from a place that's not necessarily just about money. Okay. And then uh, I guess if you've been working with Texas Roadhouse for a while, do you kind of get uh, an end in the door if you want to like be a part of opening a new restaurant? Yes. So they kind of look at it in terms of, you know, obviously proximity to where they're holding these the new store opening, where that store is going to be, because there are certain people who've gotten into the culture of like opening these roadhouses. Like there's almost, there's a bunch of people where they pretty much like don't have like hours at their actual home store they really just will go out and open um you know they may pick up at their home store but they don't necessarily like get put on the schedule because like primarily what they do is they're responsible for going and opening these new ones because they're just that's where their passion is Mm -hmm. um i honestly got my foot in the door with it because they are opening this new store in georgia and i have been you know working with the company for as long as i have i've been training for as long as i have i've been training coordinator as long as i have um 
So they kind of reached out to me. Honestly, I was talking to a coworker about it before they ever came to me about it. And he was telling me, you know, you should try and go do the store opening in Rome. And I was like, oh, like I probably should. I'm going to go talk to our manager about that. And then I was talking to Kyle the next day and I was going to bring it up. And he was like, do you want to go do the store opening in Rome? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, I was going to talk to you about that today. So we just kind of like mutually both kind of wanted that opportunity to happen. So we just kind of made it happen. Um, but yeah, they're very much about, you know, bringing people like the best and brightest from like nearby, but also those folks who like are dedicated to doing it. Mm -hmm. um, so they get together that big crew and bring them in. It lasts for about 15 days, um, but it's very much like crash course. You're there from 8 a.m. until closing up at 11, like put up in a hotel. They pick, they put you up in a hotel. So like that's something. Yeah. Um, and obviously they're feeding you and stuff like that, but well, honestly, you have all the food that the kitchen is practicing with, so you're very fed. But um, <laughs> it's it's kind of cool. Like, I'm sure that other restaurants do it kind of in a similar way, I would assume. But I think it's really super cool that, you know, they try to pull from all these different opinions and bring these people in and really try to make this new store, like, almost like as if it had been there for years. Like, having that staff really be knowledgeable. That's, like, our biggest thing is making sure that our staff knows what they're selling. And making yeah. sure that they know what they're making by the book because there is a right and wrong way to do everything it's pretty easy okay. <laughs> if you ask me anyway <laughs> and then uh from an investment mm -hmm. uh, point of view or, or do you have a foot in the door to invest in new i guess restaurant openings like a franchise opportunity or something like that um i'm sure that there so as far as that goes i think that the biggest way that you could get like that foot in the door is really just moving up and becoming that managing partner because then you do become that partial owner some okay. stores do have franchisees but a lot of them are not internally affiliated okay. um so like our store has a franchisee who he's not necessarily directly affiliated with roadhouse but he's the franchisee of just our store if that makes sense okay yeah so like, I, I'm not sure like necessarily how it would work if I were looking to become a franchisee of a store because they, they're kind of independent from us. Like our store is very strange because we're in a corporate market, but we have a franchisee of our store itself. So it's very strange, but um, I'm sure that if like somebody came from within the company and wanted to do so, they would probably try to convince them if they come from a corporate store to stay within the market. Mm -hmm. But if not, then I'm sure that they would be able to move forward with it however they would want. Because like all the time I'm finding out about stores that I don't know exist because they're not in our corporate market. So uh, like there's a store in, I think in Noonan and like there's one in the one in Savannah, stuff like that. Like I didn't even know that they existed because they're, they're franchise stores. They're not involved in our corporate dealing. So like I'm not super knowledgeable about the franchisees, but <laughs> I, I know that we do have them and I know that they'll typically pertain to just the one or two stores. Okay. But most of it is like the corporate branch echelon deal. All right. And then uh, I think I just have a couple more questions uh, to wrap this up. So basically, um, kind of like tack tacking on the end of that um, with other challenges that are in the industry, you said turnover rates high. How do you think, I mean, do you have any ideas on anything like uh, – that affects that, like how it could be improved or whatever. How, how we can improve retention. That's like my, that is my goal. Like coming up into the new year is like, I want to have a plan. And like, that's kind of my resolution for with work is like, find a good way to make sure that like, especially with our younger people that we're bringing in, like um, 
the high schoolers that will have come in to be, you know, essays or hosts and stuff like that, like really making sure that they know because they do make about minimum wage and they can go get a different minimum wage job anywhere. My biggest thing is like, we have a responsibility with these kids to show them how we're different and how we do things in a fun way where we work together as a really cohesive team and have a good time when we're at work, make good money and go home. Um, you know, with that, it's, it's kind of trying to develop that environment where they're going to see that, you know, they're going to like coming to work enough to not mind that the pay isn't as good as it could be. Because honestly, like I have no effect on that. And like, even my boss has kind of fingers tied as far as like how much we can pay people and the man hours that we do have, that's just kind of how it is. So my goal is to kind of find a way to retain these people and help them know that they are, they are loved and they are a part of that kind of family. Because that, you know, getting, we talk about all the, all the time, finding a really good group of well-behaved teenagers is all we need to do to have a great running front of house staff. Because like, if they're all friendly with each other and they all get along, which we're kind of on our way there now, but like, you know, getting them to really get along with each other and like working together, it's what's going to make that all kind of work well and make them want to stay. Like, that's why I stayed for the longest time. I worked with some of my best friends that I've ever had in my life that I met through this restaurant. And, you know, it made it to where I wanted to stay. It made it to where I wanted to work there. So I'm trying to find a good way of like really kind of redeveloping a culture of that. Cause a lot of that got lost with COVID. Um, it was just very hard to kind of maintain that same feeling of it when we all kind of got thrown into his positions, like doing to goes like none of us. Well, I don't want to say none of us, but a lot of us had never done the to go side of things before we had never done, um, like just the taking the phone calls and putting in those online orders and stuff like that. Like it was a very big culture shock for us. And it was very hard to kind of maintain things and make sure things like even were fun at all because nobody was really having fun. So (laughs) just kind of coming back from that and like working on that, that's my goal is to try to make it to where make roadhouse fun again. That's, that's my goal. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful with it. I think that, you know, it can be done. I just also know, and I've been talking to my fellow managers about it. Like it can't just come from me, you know, I could run as fun an orientation as I want, but if, you know, they don't feel like, you know, our managers are treating them the right way, then that's not going to matter. So I've been working with them too. I think that we're starting, you know, kind of trying to start from the top up and kind of trickle down with that. But, um, it's all a work in progress. I'm being patient with it, or at least I'm trying to. I think that once we get the train the trainer done, that that'll help a lot too, because we'll have these fresh new trainers that are ready to kind of lead by example. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about it. I think that it's going to be good. Um, but I think that that's something that all restaurants can kind of take from is as far as retention goes, just kind of making that restaurant somewhere people will want to work. Yeah. You know, if they don't have a reason to want to work there, what's to say they don't go, you know, down the street and find a different restaurant job in five minutes, yeah. especially in this day and age. So especially on Barrett know. Parkway. Yeah. Right. <laughs> especially on Barrett Parkway. Like I've heard from many people that that's the busiest Olive Garden in the state of Georgia. <laughs> that road is busy. It's crazy. It's terrible. I used to live right off of it, like right behind the steak and shake right there. I lived there and mm. that was the most stressful year of my life. <laughs> but yeah. So- it, yeah. Uh, so what, what role do you think this job served for you? Or like, what do you think this job did for you other than money? Obviously. Oh man, this job. <laughs> so just a little background on me growing up. Like I was very content to kind of take the back seat in life. Like I've never been very, I don't want to call myself shy, but like very introverted, very much, you know, 
I would rather stay home than go do something. But kind of working in the restaurant industry after a while, it really kind of gave me confidence because you're in this situation when you're serving a table, you have to be the one to approach them and kind of lead the interaction. There's a difference, and I tell every new server this, there's a difference between cockiness and confidence. And when you're approaching your table and talking to them and kind of having command over that. And being put in that situation as much as I was because I was just serving tables, I wasn't in school and stuff like that. I kind of had to figure it out. I kind of had to like, get over that feeling inside of myself of, oh, I'm approaching people. Oh, like that little shyness inside of myself. I, I kind of had to get over that. So it's done like wonders for my confidence. It's done, you know, a lot for my people skills too, just because, you know, you're meeting all kinds of different people that are coming into the restaurant. Um, one of my favorite things used to be, which it's, it's definitely tapered off now because with flights being as few, well, not few, but flyers being fewer, I used to have tons of people who would come and I'm from such and such. And I just got off of the plane. I drove here and I'm hungry for dinner. And, you know, I've met people from like all over the world. Like I had a guy one time, he was from Istanbul. I've had a guy come in who was from um, Hong Kong, just like places that like, I'm not necessarily researching, but you have somebody come in who's like literally straight off of the plane from there. And they're telling me all about it. Like I got to know so many different stories that I never would have known. And so that's, you know, learning how to interact with different people from different places and, you know, people who I never would have interacted with otherwise. That's been very much, you know, I think beneficial for me as a person just to learn about different views and stuff that I never would have known about. Um, let me think. Well, I think that's good because. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that it's done a lot for me. It's definitely helped me to become, I think, a more rounded out person just in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I mean, I think that's good because I, I do think uh, the younger generations in general are a little bit more uh, meek and mild, mm-hmm. I think. The phone generation, yeah. And then, uh, I mean, maybe it's a stereotype, but I don't know. I kind of see it a, a little, has a hint of truth to it. And then I feel like maybe even if you're just looking for a temporary job, maybe a server job could benefit you a lot. Even yeah. if you're like, say, going in engineering, a lot of engineering people tend to be more uh introverted i would say a little bit yeah um, or like you know a computer programmer maybe more introverted right but you know having that that kind of people skills those soft skills and those uh and building your confidence mm-hmm. i think could help you and you know other careers that you decide to go into and i think right. one of the things that builds confidence the most is failing a lot oh yeah <laughs> and i think when you mess up <laughs> you know, you kind of lose some of that fear of failing. And I think that right. makes you more confident because you're not afraid to fail. Right. Um, so one of the last things I was going to ask you is uh, for someone who does want to go into this field, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not so much for the temporary reasons, but if they want to make kind of more of a career out of it or stay longer term, what advice or cautions would you have for them? Um, well, first and foremost, I always try to tell people, you know, you have to be able to be humble and you have to be able to, um, you have to be able to learn the hard way for sure. Like I always tell people I learn best the hard way. Like we said, like it's, I, I failed plenty of times and been able to pick myself up. And, you know, I think that that's probably the biggest thing is, you know, if you have a bad night, if you have the night happen where the tickets don't print in the kitchen or you have, you know, some table, some, you know, one table of your night who's rude to you and, you know, comes raining on your parade and it starts to ruin your mood, you know, you have to be able to remember that 
that's kind of the risk you take. And if you're not loving it then, then maybe it isn't for you. But like, if you can get over that, which is something that I've done, like it can be great because, you know, you will have those nights. Things do happen. You know, you can't read minds and stuff like that. And I mean, even as management, you can't go in thinking, you know, oh, this will be a super easy night because you might have a ton of people come in with issues. You may have, you know, that night with the tickets crashing, like something like that will happen every once in a while. Like nothing is perfect. We're human. You know, it is what it is. But looking at it long term, if you're able to consolidate, you know, the one bad day with the, you know, rest of the days that you work and nothing really insane happens or anything like that, like it really could be something really great. And like, it very much is, you know, different than that desk job where it's day in and day out the exact same thing. There is never a dull moment ever. So, you know, really that in and of itself can be something that you can kind of take and run with. Like it, not to say that you should serve tables forever by any means. Like, I'm not going to say that everybody is cut out to do that, but you know, looking at it in terms of just moving with the restaurant and like really kind of getting involved with it, you know, you really can find joy in those little things and you really can kind of take that and make a career out of it, make a life out of it. So, you know, as far as long-term stuff goes, it really is something to consider. It really is something that you shouldn't look at and say, Oh, like, I don't want to be just like a middle manager for the rest of my life. Like look at it in terms of if nothing, a stepping stone, because you can get that managerial experience. And then, like I said, you'll learn that people know each other in the restaurant industry. You may even meet someone through, you know, somebody in the echelon that goes up through the restaurant. You may meet somebody who's involved with another restaurant model or another, you know, endeavor that someone is looking at opening. And that might even be more conducive to what you're looking to be involved with. So, you know, if you're willing to stick with the restaurant industry, you can get where you want to go and you can really find your own niche and like be happy in it. You just have to be willing to, at the end of the day, accept that the restaurant industry is what it is. And you can't really expect it to be anything else other than that because it, it is, you know? So I think that, you know, like I said, it takes a special kind of person, but if you are that kind of person, like it can really happen and be good for you. All right. Well, uh, thank you for all those telling words. Uh, I appreciate you <laughs> doing the interview with me. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Hey guys. So if you guys have any pressing questions or burning topics that you want to get our way, you can go ahead and send them to kwcpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to us today. Feel free to like and tell all your friends about this. Uh, And again, thank you for listening.